Open up your Bibles to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation of Jesus Christ. I'll start in verse 1. I will read the whole chapter. Stay with me, please. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is, who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before the throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood, and made us a kingdom of priests to his God and Father, to him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, and those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation, and the kingdom, and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos, on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice, like a trumpet, saying, Write what you see in the book, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamon, to Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one, like the Son of Man, clothed with a long robe, with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things you have seen, those are and those that are going to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, God. We thank you for every word of Scripture. We thank you for all 66 books of the Bible. We thank you, Father God, for all 1,187 chapters. We thank you, Father God, for the millions of words that are in it. 
We thank you, Father God, for every truth it reveals of who you are, how awesome you are, how incredible you are, and how much we need you. How much Christ loved us and shed his blood for us and bring us into the kingdom and made us priests, God. Let us know our royal dignity, Father God. Let us know the awesomeness of Jesus Christ, the ruler of the kings of the world, Father God. Let us have a fresh revelation of who your son is, Father God. Let our life and our faith line up with who this great Christ really is. Let our life, let our faith be a reflection of what we truly believe to be true. Let us not change one word in this book by attitude, by by anything else, Father God, but what is written. Let our life, Father God, be a testimony of the awesomeness of Jesus Christ. In his name I pray. In light, I don't know if you're aware of it, of so much going on in America concerning morality, hopefully you understand that morality has been genuinely on the attack for quite a while. Uh, What's going on with uh, politically religious freedom, this will be a very slightly slanted political statement today, very slightly slanted. But I will be speaking out of Revelations. I, will, I have chose to speak out of the book of Revelation in light of what's going on. When we understand from its original historical setting, uh, the book of Revelation starts to make sense. If to read what we just read or read the second and third chapter or especially read chapter 4 to chapter 22 and not know the historical circumstances, you will be lost. Even when you do know the historical circumstances that surround the book of Revelation, about A.D. 90, A.D. 95, it still is a stretch of not the imagination, but a stretch of faith and studying the word of God to come to firm conclusions of what each church should have. When we understand the situation of the time of the writing of this book, it sheds light on As Christians, what we're going through, and as American Christians, what we're going through, what the church is going through, how the truth is under attack, and how important it is that we too have a fresh revelation of what counts, and what counts is not what's going on, but who Christ is and what he's done for us. That is what we need. I know, I look at the TV, I read, I see the attack on Christianity But what I really need is to read the book of Revelation and every other uh, verse of scripture in the Bible to get a great understanding of the almightiness of God and how in absolute full control of this world he is. Amen? And that he still walks among the seven churches, that he still holds the ministers in his hand, and he still holds people accountable. He's in full control no matter what we think or what we see, no matter what the kings of the earth rally against God's anointed, God's anointed still stands. He's not dead. He's the living one. We follow him and we live forever. Amen? We need to make sure that we interpret the times through the eyes of scripture. Otherwise, otherwise, we can get emotional, we can get political, we can get our eyes off the prize of sharing this great Christ with others who don't know him yet. We can turn it into a them against us situation, and it's not. Are you with me? We need to have a heart and mind filled with biblical understanding. There are three things I want to speak about in this introduction. It's an introduction into Christ. 
I'll be speaking about a high Christology that I think we all need to adopt personally from a personal life, from a uh, from the personal local church ministry. And the church in America needs revelation who Christ is. Who this wonderful Christ is. Uh, I want to speak about a post-Christian America. Has anybody heard the expression before? Yeah. A couple had, yeah. Post-Christian, I'll explain that. I will speak about current events that lead up to this sermon series. And I will finish up with something called No Promises. Uh, let me explain the post-Christian era. From the mid-1600s to the mid-1800s, America trusted in and respected deeply Christian religion, its morals, and its values for the better part of 200 years, 300 years. All the major institutions of America, academia, political, economics, the church, uh, I want to throw justice in there as far as being political. All respected religious freedom in its exercise in all areas of a person's life. There was no questions asked and no others demanded. Christianity was the major religion in America. And it was the moral guide and the moral standard that everything in America was gauged by. That's important to understand. The Christian faith, the biblical Christian faith, spoke directly in how America viewed morality and even politics. Then in the late 1800s and early 1900s, things began to shift from a Christian culture. America was a Christian culture, don't forget that. Things began to change, they began to shift. A more liberal Christianity began to emerge in some of the highest... Uh, institutions in, in America, Princeton, Harvard, Yale, and many others, got away from the biblical view of God that was represented here in chapter 1. We just read it, a revelation of Jesus Christ and all his work of atonement. They got away with this for a more secularized, modern version of who Christ is. This all began to change uh, when people started questioning. This is important now. This whole tide started to change when people who called themselves Christians, started questioning the authority of Scripture and the inspiration of Scripture. This is when the whole mind uh, change started. They went against what the verse says, what the book of Revelation says. Don't add to or take away. They thought nothing about adding to and they thought about nothing taking away. And they trampled on the Scriptures according to human reason, not by faith and divine inspiration. They dare to go where faithful men do not go. To where they went. And so the door was open in the early 1900s for wholesale rejection of true historical Christianity and in Christ himself and all his divine qualities. They stripped him down to a good man. That's all they did. With this came a change of attitude towards Christianity and Christians themselves and politics in America. We started moving towards a post-Christian America in the mid-1900s, right after World War II. The The outward respect to the Christian faith was still there. But without any considerations, any inner considerations, listen, of what it really stood for. 
Christianity was becoming a shell of religion that stopped influencing the major thinkers in America. It was still tolerated, please understand. It was still tolerated. Even within the, uh, uh, even in academia, still tolerated. Politics, still tolerated. The religious institutions, still tolerated. Uh, even in the business, economic world, they still tolerated Christianity and its morals to a certain extent. But, and these are the major things that shape life in America. Today we can say not just the school system, not just higher education shapes uh, American life, but politics shapes American life. Hollywood shapes American life. Where we would say, thus says the Lord, Hollywood says, thus says it, the script writers. It's according to the script writers that change the face of American morality. If Hollywood says it's okay, if academia says it's okay, if politics says it's okay, then it's what? It is not okay. That's right. It's not okay. It's wrong. It was wrong. Will always be wrong. It's thus saith the Lord, not thus say Hollywood. But what's going on now is that Christianity is starting to lose. It started losing its voice in shaping policy. That's very important for us to know. There was a time when the Christian minister stood up, people listened. When the scriptures were open, politicians listened. Educators listened. There was still an outward respect and even an inward consideration to these things, but no more. Then in more recent years, Christianity went from being an outwardly respected and tolerated, tolerated, not agreed with, but tolerated, to being disrespected and openly challenged on every issue facing America. Abortion is a huge one. But the 60s came the sexual free sex revolution. Uh, These two went hand in hand. With it comes homosexuality, marriage, transgender roles, uh, the right to prosper, something called capitalism, is truly rooted in Puritanism. You might not know it. It's biblical to prosper. It's biblical to work and be ambitious. It's okay. And if we did, if every wealthy person did what the scripture said, he who lacked would not want anything because he who has would be extremely generous. That's the principle in the Christian church. The principle in the Christian church is that you prosper everybody. Not because it's a law, It's because it's love. A love for God, a love for his people, and a love for all people. That's the way the Christian church operates. The pastor doesn't take from one group and give it to the other. The pastor preaches the truth, and the Holy Spirit convicts one group to gladly give to the other. And so God is what? Glorified in all we do. You can't beat it. You can't beat the principles of Scripture. Now we come to a place in America which can be called openly anti-Christian. Even bordering being hostile to Christianity. We're not in the last stage yet of open physical persecution that's still yet to come. 
or could come, I should say. I'm not prophesying here at all. But could we be close to it? And that's what I want to talk about. Could we be close to it? We're religiously persecuted. We're politically persecuted. And in some way, we're economically persecuted. And I'll speak about that. And so much of this persecution, unfortunately, today, is riding on the coattails of the gay and lesbian agenda, with its political as much as moral effects. So how are Christians to stand up against this? Let me speak about some current events of what's taking place there. I don't know if you know what's going on in Houston, Texas. Anybody know what's going on in Houston, Texas? Okay, in Houston, Texas, the mayor of Houston put out an ordinance of, uh, has to do with a transgender sexuality, and the ordinance was this, that any man that believes under his own volition that he might be a woman, might be, it doesn't have to be proven, doesn't have to be documented, has to be no surgery, if they believe that, they have the right to go into a woman's restroom and use it. Now, that's already taken place in California. It's taken place in New Hampshire. There are laws on, on record for that. But in Houston, there were five pastors, or more pastors, but five pastors got fingered out for speaking up against this. So the mayor, what she did is she wanted to confiscate all their sermons and even subpoenaed them to give up all their sermons. They didn't need a subpoena. They gave them everything. You want to take it all. We've got nothing to hide. This is who we are. We're unashamed of who we are. Now, I want to be careful as we speak this way that we take a strong stance as Christians in America, but we don't do it with any hostile tone. Are you with me? I speak passionately against an ideology, not against a person or a people group. As Christians, we speak strongly against the philosophies of the world, as Paul says, that we take captive the vain and empty philosophies of this world that come against who? Come against Christ. This is one of those vain and empty philosophies that stand and challenge to the deity, the dignity, and the regal royalness of Jesus Christ and who we are as Christians and the moral truth and the spiritual truth. It stands up against that, and we do have to say something. Well, anyway, that brings a, a backlash out of all Christian circles, and uh, even the political realm. You saw people all of a sudden who are Christians or even sensitive to morality have gathered around these five pastors, and, 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 and it's a big thing. And we don't know what yet is to take place about this, but you can't help it. It's the center stage now. Christianity is center stage. And it ties into the book of Revelation because Jesus wants the church to know the seven churches represented in chapter 2 and chapter 3. Guess what he wants them to know? The things that must soon take place. There is nothing worse than being unprepared. I hear Christians going around saying, well, do you see what's happening? And, and do you see this? And, you, and you, do you see that? And yeah, it's alarming. It's disturbing. And we want justice. And, and we, but we've got to be careful of that because we need to be informed. And we need to know of the things that will soon take place. Very good. 
We need to be prepared, not for the sake of bearing arms, not for the sake of hatred, but for the sake of standing up for truth. And we love the word not unto our lives. Revelation 12. That's what we do. We stand up for truth. Anybody know who Aaron and Melissa Klein are? That doesn't shock me. But understand something. I didn't know who they were until I saw it. They're bakers. That's all. Just bakers. In California. But a, a, a lesbian couple went to them and said, would you bake us a cake for our wedding? And they're Christians. And they lovingly said that we cannot do that because of what we believe. But our friend down the block will share, surely do it for you. Of which the person down the block said they would. They didn't like that. So they sued them. The gay couple sued them. Bring it to court. And the Christians lost. And they got sued. The whole gay and lesbian community gathered around that couple and closed the doors to their shop to put them out of business. Out of business. All because of standing firm on their religious, moral convictions. Something similar happened to uh, a couple, a photographer down in New Mexico. Gay couple came to them and said, would you do our marriage? And because of their convictions, they lovingly denied, but offered help and, and, and someone else doing it. Well, that gay couple did not like that and brought them to court and sued. And guess what? The photographer lost. Standing on their own right of freedom of speech to deny such that in a loving way, they, they lost. They lost. But if that's not disturbing... I want to read the Supreme Court reading of this, uh, uh, New Mexico's Supreme Court. If I don't lose my place here, stay with me. In the ruling against the Christian couple in New Mexico, the Supreme Court chillingly said they are free to pray to the God of their choice, quote, but there is a price. One that we all have to pay somewhere in our civic life. End of quote. <coughs> These are very disturbing times we live in. And as Christians, we don't want to have to wield a political sword. Uh, We've got to be very careful of turning and politicizing this. This is a spiritual dimension. Are you with me? It's a spiritual dimension. But... It's interesting that when we go into the historical setting of Revelation and of what we just read, the church was between two extremes, two extremes that have, how could I say, attacked the church from all times for 2,000 years. 2,000 years. And we need to understand that. There is the physical, economic oppression and persecution, the one extreme that tries to silence the church. That's fear. The fear of one's life and one's livelihood and protection of the family has, it, it can be a crushing blow to someone weak in faith. But on the other extreme is something that Satan loves and that's called compromise. Loves compromise. Don't get involved. Turn a deaf ear. Turn a blind eye. Don't get involved. Just, it'll all go away. 
You see, it's to this kind of situation that was taking place that Jesus Christ, the Father, gave a revelation of his Son to the angel who gave it to John, who gave it to the seven ministers, who gave it to the flock. That's the revelation of the things that soon must take place. 2,000 years of church history represented so far in the chapter 2 and chapter 3 of Revelation. It's representative of all Christianity anywhere in the world at any one time from being lukewarm to being loveless to being persecuted to being weak and so on and so forth. If you read chapter 2, you read chapter 3, you analyze what's represented in the seven churches, understand something, nothing has changed. And it's to this climate that God the Father gives a revelation of Christ the Son to the angel who gives it to the servant who gives it to the rest of the body of Christ. Nothing has changed. If America needs anything, if an American Christian needs anything, what we need is a greater revelation in our personal lives, in our personal ministries of the person and work of Jesus Christ. We need to have a high Christology. We don't fight politics with politics. We fight the world system and its sinful system with a loving Savior who died for us and loved us and freed us from our sins by His blood. And He bring us into the kingdom of God and He made us a priest unto God. We belong to a greater kingdom with a greater rule and that's what we need to know. Nothing's changed. When this revelation came to John, John could have said, I know that. I'm the apostle. I know that. That his face shined in all his glory. Does it sound familiar? Do you remember the Mount of Trans? And didn't didn't John see Jesus' face glow with all the radiance of a thousand suns? He knew this. It's not so much John needed a personal understanding. John was on the island of Patmos. Why? He was exiled there. Why? Because of this testimony of God and to Jesus Christ. He knew this. That's why he was in trouble. But the seven churches, they needed a refresher course in who Christ is. And I can tell you today, Every Christian needs a refresher course in who Christ is. Otherwise, we'll get caught up in the political climate and saying, Oh my God, our freedoms are being lost. Our free- Understand something. God goes by the word, not the Constitution. As much as I love the Constitution, it's the word of God that God protects, not the Constitution. Though we should use all rights as American Christians under the Constitution to voice our opinion. The last point I want to make is God never made a promise of religious tolerance. He never made a promise that everything's going to be okay. He never made that promise. He told one church, I've let you be tested by Satan for 10 days. Be faithful even unto death. We're weak. We're weak. We like comforts. And where we like comforts, compromise is not far behind. I can sit here and list many major ministries that have compromised greatly in their fight against the truth, in their fight against error with the truth. They do this double talking to try to please both sides. It is or it's not. As Christians, we stand for something 
or we don't. And our strength is going to come from personal understanding of the awesome nature of Christ and what He has done. And that He alone is truly the ruler of all the kings of the earth. The kings of the earth don't know it, but the church needs to know it. We need to know it. That is where our peace comes from. I'm not going to sit home and and hope we vote a new guy into office and then maybe he can get things changed. Yeah, I'd like to see that. And I will vote accordingly, according to conservative conscience I have. But understand something, that's a small thing. And if it comes to pass, it's only going to be here for a little while. Conservative Christian values have a short shelf life in a sinful world. Please. But you cannot ever deny the power of the gospel. You cannot imprison and chain up the power of the gospel. If we get our minds heavenward on Christ and on the kingdom, and that we're priests to God in the kingdom, our mission statement won't be what's going on here. Our mission statement is what is God doing in the world as he speaks to the churches today. Do we have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying? Are we really ready to take what's coming? I don't speak prophetically. Just read. No one's backing down because we're Christians and we believe in the Bible and it's the word of God. Yes, we know that. Amen. They could care less. They killed the word of God. They put him on a cross. His own people did that. You think they care about me and you and our Bibles? We need a revelation. We need to really know that the climate has changed. And we truly live in a post-Christian society where Christianity is not tolerated anymore. The absolute moral truths that follow Christianity are not tolerated. It's the enemy. But yet, we need to have the two-edged sword of speaking the truth in love. Got to have that. We have to be prepared. Friends, family, foe. To always speak the truth in love. To simply not try to win a war of religious philosophical words and concepts. We're not living in the abstract. We're trying to lay the truth of the gospel at the conscience of people and then let God save sinners. And to do that, I can tell you right now, some of us will die. We might lose our reputations. We might lose our jobs. We might lose loved ones. Understand something. Being a Christian can be lonely, and I'll challenge all of us. It should be lonely once in a while. Woe to us, Jesus says, what? If the world speaks well of you. If everybody says, oh, they're just great. They don't agree to anything down there. They got their Bible, but I don't think they read it. No. No, no, no. We make a stand. And the strength is not going to become from watching what's coming out of Washington. It is not Washington's job to protect the word of God. That's yours and mine. It's yours and mine.
You can even see, look within our own attitudes when we see Christmas come and Macy's doesn't have a star in it and, and this one doesn't have an angel in it. It's all about angels, I should say. It's, there's nothing about Christ. There's nothing about the gospel. There's nothing about sinners being saved. There's nothing about that. And, and, and we want to take it out on Macy's. Macy's is not called to protect the truth. You and I are. We're the embodiment of the truth. Think of when those seven letters were read in the personal congregations 2,000 years ago. Think how the minister must have said, Oh, God. Must have heard the trumpet sound in the heart. They must have realized that God, the faithful witness who scrutinizes the hearts and minds of all men, is reading their mail. They have no idea that they've fallen into slack. They've fallen into slumber. They've fallen into indifference. They're on the verge, some of them, of compromise. And beyond that, they think they're rich. And Jesus says, no, you're wretched, poor, blind, and naked. Come to me, and by gold refined in the fire. For everyone I love, I discipline. Somewhere in chapter 2 and chapter 7, chapter 3, we're all in there. It's, it's the local church, it's the local Christian, it's, it's representative of the American church, it's a representative of the whole church globally for 2,000 years. It's in there. We're going to go over some of these things. And to find out, and I only used just a sliver of what's going on in the political, uh, religious arena uh, there's more can be said. We're not picking out one thing and, and, and throwing stones at that. This is not us against them. It's truth against falsehood. Amen? So as we go through this, my intentions are, and we've been doing this on Thursday night, is that as individuals we grasp the magnitude of a revelation of Jesus Christ. Who he is. What he has done. What really counts in life. What really doesn't count in life. So that we too, when Christ is so high and lifted up in our hearts and in the local congregation, we too can be ready for what God said are the things that are about to come. Amen? Because every generation of the Christian church has something that's about to come. All these things have been happening for 2,000 years. But you know something? Here we are. 21st century American Christians, guess what? There's something new upon the horizon, and we need to be prepared to speak the truth in love. Father, we thank you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for sounding a trumpet to John 2,000 years ago that has echoed for 2,000 years, God. I thank you, Father God, for shooting a warning shot over our starboard side, Father God, that we can recognize the things that are about to come. We can sense a great change in American policy towards the Christian faith. We can sense the kindling starting to burn against those who follow you in moral, absolute truth, Father God. And Father God, there are two extremes men are fearful of. We can fall into being afraid of our lives, Father God, and our comfortability, and we can end up compromising. God, come and search our hearts as you teach your church. You will learn search the hearts and minds of people. You alone know exactly what's going on. You alone know where we need to be strengthened, where we need to be encouraged. 
And as we go through these 15 attributes of a revelation of Jesus Christ that this chapter holds out to us, I pray, Father God, that our faith is encouraged and strengthened in Jesus' name.